days and weeks and months of, that they're going to come to your mind, Jim and Pam or Danielle, and you're going to think, maybe I should do this for that person. Maybe I should call. Maybe I should make this meal. And here's a tendency you're going to have. You're going to say to yourself, oh, somebody else is doing that. Um, let me explain to you, somebody else probably isn't doing that. Um, it's the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you. And I want to encourage you over the next uh, days and weeks and months to, um, if, the, if the Spirit of the Lord prompts you to make that phone call, the Spirit of the Lord prompts you to make that meal and take it to the house, that you do that. Um, these are the times that, that someone else needs to carry you. It's what the body of Christ is designed to do. That when our hands are hanging down, somebody else lifts our hands up and carries us along. And so um, as you feel led by the Spirit over these next days, take this opportunity um, to just pour out the love of Christ into this young family. I can't imagine what it's like for some reason, even not knowing this, fam- this, this young couple. Suzanne and I have just been, it's just stopped us in our tracks this week over and over and over again thinking she's, she's 25 years old and she has two little babies. And, her, and the love of her life, as Pastor Pete said, this was a love affair. He said it's one of those rare marriages. And he said he just can't imagine it. Friends, I can't imagine it. We're supposed to weep with those who weep. And so let's, as the Spirit of the Lord would move you this week and days and months, don't put that aside. Act on it. Okay? Okay. Um, two things to mention before we look at our sermon today. Um, there was supposed to be a divorce care video. It wasn't played. That's okay. Don't play it. Uh, technical difficulties. Uh, just uh, just a, a reminder or to pay attention to your bulletin. Um, I want to just celebrate something today. Um, divorce care is a ministry that's been going on through this church um, through an outside person coming in for a long time. And they've done it for years and it's been a great ministry. And, and uh, uh, Lisa Lauders, who has done it, has done a wonderful job. And we're so happy with her um, doing that. Um, but in this last time of her, her leading it, a couple in our church um, independently have been praying together, about wa- uh, praying about wanting to be used and wanting to work in a specific ministry. And um, because of some scheduling things, divorce care was going to have to stop for about a four-month period of time. And uh, we have a few gals from our church who are currently in that, and we didn't want it to stop. And so Pastor Paul and I were talking and praying, and we said, I said, I think I know somebody who's supposed to do that ministry. And, and he said, this person. I said, you're exactly right. That's the person. And so we went to the, to the person and said, would you consider this? And, they, and this person said, well, let me talk to my, to my husband. And they went home and talked and came back and said, when I talked to my husband, he said, I've been praying for one year that we would do this together. And, um, and so um, I'm really happy to, to let you know, because this is something you can use as an outreach for people, people you know, that uh, Dave and Darlene Gary will be starting divorce care here. And they're the perfect couple. Because not only have they suffered the pain of divorce, they've had the joy of being reconciled. And, you know, we understand that's not going to happen in, in most cases. But I think ultimately is God's plan, his perfect plan. And, um, and so uh, they're going to begin that ministry. And the reason that we wanted to make a point of it today, not just to announce a new ministry starting, but there are people that you know, your neighbors, your friends, your family members, who are suffering the pain of divorce. And let's admit it, friends, um, 50% of our marriages end this way. Um, it's a great opportunity for you to bring somebody to a ministry where they can not only get their needs met, but they can um, be taught that Jesus can meet their needs also. And so be aware of that. Um, and if you've got questions, talk to, to Dave and uh, Darlene, and they would be glad to ask you or answer your questions for you. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention today, um, don't forget this coming Wednesday, we do not have our regular Wednesday services. Uh, we haven't set our annual meeting. So all of you who are members of the church, 
plan on being here, and anybody else can attend also, but if you're a member of the church, plan on being here this Wednesday. We have two, two deacons, to one to re-elect, if you choose that, one to elect, and also vote on myself. And so uh, you'll want to be here this coming Wednesday night. All right, we're going to conclude our four-part series today on achieving financial freedom. Um, has this been something the Lord has been just speaking to you through and, and, and ministering? You know what? I'm challenged every time I do this. And this is what I found out. I've preached all kinds of series over the last 20 years, and um, I generally take at least three or four weeks every year, and I deal with the topic of finance. And my, my experience has been it is the topic I preach on that I receive the most feedback from people in the congregation. I get the most feedback from people saying, um, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm struggling, this is where I need help, um, or God really spoke to me about this. The most feedback I ever receive from a congregation is when I teach about um, just stewardship and financial biblical principles. And that's not been any different this time. Um, I've heard over and over and over people saying, you know, God's really challenging me in this area. So today, we're going to kind of, let's do a summary of what we've learned so far, because I've been trying to do that every week. Um, and if you haven't been here for one of the weeks, I encourage you to go to the website, download the podcast, it doesn't cost you, cost you anything, and listen to the sermons. And so the first week we learned about what? Work. That work is not a four-letter word. Even though it is four letters, it's not a four-letter word. That work is a gift from God, and He gives it to us to help us develop, and He gives it to us to earn a living, so that we can not only take care of our family, but we can be a blessing to other people. So work is a gift from God. Um, second thing, we learned about stewardship principles and a plan. We called it the what plan? The 10-10-80 plan. The first 10% goes to God. Second 10% goes to who? Your savings, to yourself, because you work hard and you deserve to be paid. Right? And the third, and the last part, the 80% goes to who? Everybody else. Last week we looked at one, and I knew it would be the one that tends to, to stir up our hearts the most and sometimes be the most painful, and we talked about debt. We talked about the fact that debt is a monster. That I want you to view debt as a monster because debt, what, what did we say? Debt was does what to our capacities? It diminishes our capacities. That when we are in, in any stress situation, it's like a person drowning in water that they cannot um, do anything else in their lives because the stress of the situation in dog paddling to keep their head above water diminishes their ability to, to do other things in their lives. And that we talked about how the stress of debt has robbed people of their ability to not only be generous, but it's robbed people of their ability to minister. It's robbed people of their ability to be good husbands and wives. It's robbed them of their ability to be good parents to their children um, and children to their parents. And so we want to view debt as a monster. We learn from the Bible, the Bible says the borrower is the what? Is the slave to the lender. And we don't want to be anybody's slave because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Now today... We're going to look at um, something a little different and not look at necessarily um, a, a what, but a why. We're going to look at today um, what our giving reveals about our spiritual development and then why we give. We're going to look at today that what giving to the work of God reveals about you and reveals about me. And here's something that we're maybe not real comfortable with but something that is absolutely squarely based on the scriptures, that Jesus shows us that money is the great revealer. That when Jesus wants to examine a person's life, he looks at their money. That money is the great revealer. 
that our attachment to and our use of money reveals a lot about where we are at spiritually. And one of the verses that speaks to that that I've repeated over and over the last four weeks is this, that where your money is, your heart will be also. That where you put your money, your heart automatically follows there. And I think of a story in the scriptures that reveals this so clearly and reveals the fact that money is the great revealer. Do you remember a story in the scriptures where Jesus is, is out amongst the people and a man comes to him and the Bible describes him as the, as the rich young ruler and the man comes to Jesus and he says to him, he's a godly man, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus begins to say, well, do this and do that. It's all about keeping the commandments. And the young man concludes, he said, I've done all of those things since my youth. And Jesus stops and he says, there's one thing you're still missing. Remember what it was? He said, now go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And it's interesting. He says, give it to the poor. And does he say you won't have anything? No. He says that you will have treasures in heaven. He said, give it to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven. And then come follow me. And do you remember what was revealed about the young man in the, in the story? He went away saddened, didn't he? Because he found out that the stuff had a lot more attachment than he wanted to admit. And that the idea of saying, I must get rid of my stuff and then follow you was too much for him. And he walked away from Christ and said, I can't, I can't go that far. You see, Jesus understood something about this young man and he understands something about you and me. He understands that we can look spiritual like this young man did. We can do right things in the power of our strength and our flesh. But when Jesus wants to get to the heart of a matter and he wants to say, Mark, where are you really at? He understands how humans are wired. He understands how you think and how I think. And he says, I know how to figure out what's really going on inside your heart. And he says, listen, rich young American. Listen, rich young ruler. I'll tell you what, how I can reveal what's really going on in your heart. Take what you've got and give it away. And how we respond to that request reveals a lot about us. You see, our use of and our attachment to things, to money, says a lot about us. So today, what we are going to look at isn't what we give, because not, not particularly, because that varies with resources. And do you understand something from the scriptures? Jesus very clearly says he gives different amount of resources to different people. But some have little and some have a lot, and he makes no apology about that. So we can't compare, say, I gave this and you gave that, because that wouldn't be a fair comparison because some of you have been incredibly gifted in your life and that giftedness has given you an ability to make a great deal. And some of you have been gifted in other ways and the way you use your giftedness does not necessarily translate into great resources. And so God could never compare you with me and say we must give the same. So we're not going to look at just what we give because that differs according to resources. But we're going to look at today, why does someone give? What are the motivations of the heart? What are the reasons that someone gives? Because this is the revealing factor. And my objective today is that by showing you different motivations for giving, and I think these are things you've probably never thought of before, you've maybe not really thought this through clearly, or maybe, maybe even thought of taking the time to do this, because there are greatly different motivations for giving, that as you see the different motivations, you will be able to identify where you are at and hopefully, if you don't like what you see, then you're going to ask God to help you advance spiritually to the next level in your life. Because this service today, this sermon, and hopefully all our sermons, are about us maturing and advancing and growing. And I hope that in a very practical way today, we can identify where we're at and then say, God, if I don't like where I'm at, can you help me, God, to go to the next level? And who believes that God's desire of his heart 
is to help you and I go to the next level in Him. It absolutely is. He wants us to grow. He saved us and He's put us on a journey of development. He doesn't condemn us because where we're at. He just says, listen, Mark, I know where you're at, but I need you to go higher. And the way He does is He reveals the condition of our heart and then He lays out for us an opportunity to say, now I can go forward. So let's start today. Let's start with the, at the, the bottom of the, of the maturing continuum, for lack of a better word. Look at the, we'll start with the most basic reason that a person could give money, their motivation for giving money to the work of God. And then we're going to go up five steps. And I'm going to show five biblical motivations. Actually, we're going to look at four biblical and one unbiblical motivations for giving to the work of God. And for and, and I think we're going to see in this where we're at as individuals. And then if you're not happy, you're going to say, God, just help me to go up to the next level. Now, am I so foolish as to think we all just sequentially necessarily go through these very easily and very systematically? No, we're all different. But I think as a general sense, these are five levels that, that do work in process and that they kind of work through our lives as we mature. And so I want you to be open and say, God, where am I at today and where do you want me to be? So the first level, the most basic reason that a person would give to the work of God would be what I would like to call self-interest giving. Self-interest giving to the work of God. This is giving because someone has a vested interest in what is being given to. That your dollars and cents help pay the bills to keep the lights on and the doors open. And because you want the lights on and you want the doors open, you give. Someone gives because their giving gives them a return. In the church world, it's maybe giving to a local church so they continue to have the programs and the ministries that benefit you and your family and you want those benefits. And so you say, I'm going to give to make sure that I get the kids' church that I like. I'm going to give so that I make sure that I get the worship that I like. And we give for that reason. It's simply self-interest that motivates this type of giving. You know, um, if one doesn't give to this, what they value will go away. Now... A lot of us in life join organizations, we join stuff, and we support it for self-interest purposes, right? We join the YMCA, why? Because we're overweight, and our hearts aren't good, and we know that's not what God wants, so we join the YMCA so that when I give my money, they pay the electric bill, they pay for the machines, they pay the instructors, and I can get there and I can get in better shape. So I pay for self-interest. Or I join a softball league and I give money for the softball league because you've got to buy balls and pay umpires and and take care of softball fields. And uh, we keep paying because we want a payback. Does that make sense? Self-interest giving. Well, I want you to hear me today. Listen to what I say in his next words. The Bible knows nothing of this approach to giving to the work of God. Now, this is shocking. It would be shocking to some of you. Because some of you were raised like I was raised, and I paid dues. And I'm not criticizing a place that does that, but my mentality was maybe wrong, or maybe I was taught wrong, but my giving to the church I attended had everything to do with self-interest giving. We had to pay a certain amount just to keep the lights on and the doors open. It was just simple self-interest. Friends, you can take your Bible and go from cover to cover and never find self-interest as a motivation for giving to the support of the local church. It might be okay for the YMCA, but it's not okay for the church. There's nowhere in Scripture that you find self-interest as a reason for taking of your resources that God is giving you and giving them back 
to the work of God. It doesn't exist. But I think a lot of times we've been trained that that's the reason we give. We say things like, give because you want to keep things going here. The Bible doesn't say that ever. It never says. I challenge any of you, find it in the scriptures anywhere where God says a motivation for giving is so that our doors will stay open. You know what? God can keep our doors open. I'm not worried about that. Now, that's not a biblical reason to give. It's a reason to give to some things, but not a reason to give to the work of God. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go up the continuum to the next step. And we're going to find what the Bible says is this is the most basic of reasons why a person would give to the work of God. The, the second point, the second step up the list, but the first step that the Bible really lays out is giving because of spiritual gratitude. We give to the work of God because of spiritual gratitude. In Psalm chapter 116, verse 12, it says this. It says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? What shall I render or what should I give to God, to the Lord, for all the benefits, all the things that He's given to me? Friends, the starting point for giving to God's work is simply in response to the provision that He has given us of His wonderful Son, Jesus Christ, who paid for your sins and my sins on the cross. The basic reason for giving, the most foundational reason we could ever give to the work of God, is simply having an attitude of gratitude for your salvation from the bondage of sin that we all found ourselves in as human beings on this earth. It's simply an outflow of the gratitude for back toward God for what He's done to us. Now, if I had an attitude of gratitude towards God and I want to, as a starting point, start to give to Him, in my giving, am I somehow trying to repay God? No. Am I trying to give God, say, you know, you gave me salvation, so I owe you $1,874? Of course not. We're try- not trying to repay God. You know, you know am I trying to, to, um, to repay Him? No. One just gives from a heart that is overflowing with gratitude for what God has done in their lives. Have you sat down recently and done what the old hymn says? Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Have you done that recently? You know what? We probably don't do it nearly enough. I don't do it nearly enough. I get so focused on what's going around me, go full, so focused on what's broken, what needs to be fixed, that I forget all the glorious things that God has done and is doing in my life. Have you thought recently about what God has done for humanity and what God has done particularly for you? Friends, let's think about it this morning. You know, when, when mankind rejected God in the garden, God could have just destroyed them Adam and Eve, and left them to their own demise. You know, as the Creator, He could have just said, I'm going to start over from scratch with you, the way a person working on a potter's wheel with a lump of clay smashes down an imperfect vessel and begins to smash it down and say, I'm going to make something new out of this lump that's no good. But guess what? God didn't do that with humanity. No, God took that imperfect, sinful man and sinful woman, and He said, I have only one way to restore you. One way to save you from the punishment that you deserve for sinning against a perfect holy God. And he said, I know what I'll do. I will have my son Jesus take the punishment upon himself that you deserve. And if you turn to him and you forsake your sin and you ask him for forgiveness, then he will forgive you and you will be saved from destruction. Friends, God did that for you. And he did that for me. And I don't know about you, but that makes my heart overflow with a sense of gratitude. We don't deserve it. 
We don't deserve what Jesus has done for us. And our hearts should overflow with a sense of gratitude. This realization, friend, takes us beyond the I suppose I need to pay my dues to keep the lights on mentality. It takes when I write that check out, it takes it beyond the mentality that says, I just got to pay my dues because I want to have that program keep going. Instead, when I write that check out, it says, I understand that Jesus died for me on the cross. And when we understand Christ on the cross, friend, you bump up immediately to this next level and your giving becomes motivated by gratitude. And I ask this morning, is this the level that some of you find yourself at today? Is this the level that you say, I just give out of gratitude for Jesus? Because we already said we're all supposed to give. And the question is why? Is the reason that we give just out of gratitude? For some of us it is. Well, let's bump up to the next level. There's a level beyond this. Actually, we're going to find a couple more levels beyond this. Another reason that even has to do with, with developing more in the Lord and being more mature. And the one I'd like to call for the third level, I want to call spiritual obedience. We give to the work of the Lord because of spiritual obedience. You see, on this level, the Christ follower gets a little more specific. We become a little more mature. And we say something like this. It says, you know what, I have a, a grateful heart for God. But now, God, I want you to tell me what to do. I want you to tell me what to give. God, I want instructions from you, from your word. And God, whatever you tell me, that's what I'll do because I want to be obedient to you. Do you remember coming to this stage as you walk with Jesus? That you go from just saying, I'm just gratitude, to start saying, you know what, God? This word is really true. And if I follow this word, I know it's your pathway. And so, God, what do you tell me in your word for me to do? See, mature Christians have this spirit to give whatever the Master asks for. You know what? This is the kind of attitude that I think the Apostle Peter had. Do you remember the story of Peter found in Matthew chapter 11 when the disciples are in a boat and they're going across the sea and Jesus isn't with them? And they're going across the sea, and they look across, and in my mind, I think it's kind of a foggy night, I don't know, Scripture doesn't say that, but they look across, and they see someone walking, something coming out of the water, and remember what they conclude this figure on the water is? You remember what they say it was? A ghost. And they freak out, and they're in a boat, and they say, there's a ghost coming. These are guys who follow Jesus, and they think this guy's a ghost. And Jesus figures out they think he's a ghost, and he calls out to me, and he says, guys, it's not a ghost, it's me. And they figure, wow, it's Jesus. Now, Put yourself in their shoes. We so often just read this stuff over. They're sitting in a boat and Jesus is walking on the water. And they're just, they can't believe it. And it's Jesus coming to them. Do you remember what Peter said? Peter says one of the most bizarre things in the entire pages of Scripture. He says, Jesus, um, if you command me to come to you on the water, I'll come. Why would you be sitting in a perfectly good boat a second ago think it's a ghost coming at you? Jesus identifies it as himself and your first reaction is if you tell me to come, I'll come. I'll obey whatever you say. And what's Jesus say to him? Come. Jesus says, come. And I can't imagine what it must have been like for Peter to crawl over the side of that boat. And he puts his foot down and he doesn't sink. And he puts his other foot down and he doesn't sink. And it doesn't say how far he walked, but he says he starts walking on the water. And he's walking towards Jesus on the water. And I know we give Peter a bad rap because what's the end of the story? The end of the story is he gets afraid. It says he looks at the wind and the waves and he gets afraid and he starts to sink. And Jesus has to reach out and grab him. And we give him a bad rap for that. But guess what? You never walked on water. I never walked on water. 
I'm not going to give this guy a bad rap. Jesus told him to get out of the boat and walk, and he got out of the boat and walked. And you know what? That's the kind of obedience that I think the Lord's looking for. He says, get out of the boat and walk, and he, and he gets out of the boat and walk. You know, that's the type of attitude that I'm talking about at this level. You just say, Lord, if you command me to do this, I'll obey. Whatever you want, God, that's what I want. And so the question we ask ourselves today is, what does the Bible tell us we should give? What should a person at this level who simply had gone past gratitude, not that you ever give up gratitude, but you've, you, you, you keep that with you as you mature, and now you say, I want to be like Peter and, and Jesus, whatever you ask me to do, even if it's as crazy as getting out of the boat and walking on the water, I'm going to do it. And Jesus says, okay, I want you to give in certain ways. And there's some very clear teachings on that. Grab your Bible if you wouldn't turn to the book of Malachi. If you're just learning how to find things in the Scriptures, and I'm glad that some of you are, you go to the first book in the New Testament, to Matthew, and just turn back towards the front of the book a couple pages because Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So find Matthew and just turn a couple pages towards the front of the book. And you'll find the book of Malachi, one of the, one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And Malachi is, gonna, is, is one of the clearest places that talks to us about giving in the whole Bible. And one of the reasons we go to it all the time is because it's this incredible place where God challenges us on the topic of giving. Let's look at Malachi says, chapter 3 of Malachi. I remember being with a person one time and they were talking to me about the book of Malachi. And I couldn't figure out what they were talking about. The book of Malachi. book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi. And I'm thinking, I don't have a clue. You know who it is. And Suzanne's like, Malachi. <laughs> Malachi. Oh, I can't even say Malachi. <laughs> um, and I couldn't figure out the person. I'm thinking, they invented a book that I don't know. You know? And uh, I couldn't figure out. And so finally Suzanne, my, my brilliant wife, corrected me and told me it wasn't Malachi. It was Malachi. So, Malachi chapter 3. This is the place we go to to say, I'm just, I want to obey a kind of giver. Malachi 3, let's start in verse 10. Instruction from the Lord through the prophet to the people of God. He says this, bring the whole tithe. And what did we learn tithe was a few weeks ago? 10% of what we earn. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse um, so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. And that's what Pastor Bruce was talking about this morning when he took the offering. He said, if you give the Lord, then maybe makes a 40,000 mile tires go 60,000 miles. He wasn't saying that based on Pastor Bruce's experience. He was saying it based on Malachi 3. It says, then he will rebuke the devourer so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor, do, nor your vine in the field cast his grapes, says the Lord. He's saying, I will bless you financially in your world. Friends, God asks us all to take 10% slice of our earnings and bring it into our church, the storehouse, and give it as unto the Lord. To give it joyfully, out of a heart filled with gratitude for the cross of Christ, give it consistently and give it obediently. And you know what? Many of us in this room have done this. We're the, okay, I'll do it, tithers. And you know how I know it? That's how this church has been built for over 30 years. 
And that's how the ministries of this church are sustained today. And that's how the ministries of this church will be sustained as we go forward in reaching our community for Christ and spreading the gospel across our community and around the world. It happens through the I'll just do it obedient tithers. Because that's what the tithe is designed for. The tithe is designed for the operation of the local church. It's designed to keep the ministries going, and that's what Malachi is talking about. That, that you have to bring the stuff in the storehouse so that there is the resources necessary to do the ministry that God calls the church to do. You know, and so, and the fact of the matter is, and I could have people, and I was tempted to have people stand up and give testimonies to this, because repeatedly I have people say to me, Pastor Mark, because I tithe, God blesses me. And you can ask me, and I'll give you dozens of names to talk to people in this congregation who have said to me and will say to you, God has blessed me because I'm a tither. And the question we need to ask to us to ourselves today is, is this the way I'm obeying God? Am I a, okay, God, your word says it, so I'll do it, person, and do I apply it in the area that's the greatest revelation of where my heart is in the area of giving? And if we're not doing that, my simple question is, why not? Why not? If we can trust God with our spirit, can't we trust Him with our finances? You know, people would say, I've heard pastors say they don't like to preach about money because they feel like it has self-interest in it. I never feel that way. Because you know what? It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. My giving has to do with me. Your giving has to do with you. I want to see you live the most blessed possible life you can ever lead in Jesus Christ. And you know what I know a component of that is? is learning how to be obedient with your giving. And so I want you to learn to give. Because as you learn to give and you live faithfully and you give the whole tithe, guess what? God's going to pour out an abundant blessing into your life. And I want to see you blessed. And so that's one of the ways that we, we give when we're in, giving in obedience. There's a second way that we give in addition to the tithe, that we give in obedience. And it's this. It's in the area of the free will offering. We give our tithe, we pay our tithe, but this goes above the tithe. You know, um, once God, once one has obeyed God in paying their tithe, He often then will direct you to give more than that to some other area of ministry or need. You know what? He did this last two weeks ago to us as a church. A lot of us got on board above and beyond our tithe, and we gave money to the need in Haiti, didn't we? And some of you are still giving because Jeff Scott keeps telling me, our treasurer, Pastor Mark, I got more money. How do you want me to send it in? More people are giving to Haiti. And because God's speaking to your heart. You're not doing that because you just think, I have extra money. Anybody have extra money they just want to throw away? A whole bunch of extra stuff? No, I don't think so. None of you have given money because you just say, I've got a whole bunch of extra money. I don't know what to do with it. It's in my way. It's cluttering my closet. I just have to get rid of it. I can't get in my car because the front seat is piled with 20s. I just have to give it away somewhere. Nobody has that. At least there is. I haven't met the person yet. But you gave. You know why you gave? Because the Lord spoke to your heart. And you know how that free will offering is designed? The free will offering is not to be part of your tithe. The free will offering is designed to be in addition over above your tithe. And see, every single year of our lives since we've been married, Suzanne and I, every year we sit down and we pray at the beginning of the year and we say, God, what do you want us to give this year above the tithe? Now we also do, just as God leads, Haiti things, but we systematically give above our tithe. And we generally do this by giving to various missions ministries because, you know, the Red Cross is great and I have no problem giving to it, but I want to give to a place that not only gives them water and food, but gives them Jesus. 
And so we give to various missions things. And the neat thing is that as we do this every single year, I don't know if there's ever been a time that we haven't come up with the exact same number. And I think maybe it have been a time or two, and every time we've gone to the higher one of the two. And every time, God blesses us for it. And you know what we've learned over 20 years of marriage? You can't give God. That God just takes care of you when you are obedient givers. When He speaks to your heart, you give. You know, we're not saying, we don't, we don't wake up one morning and saying, let's just see if we can give all our money away. We pray and we say, God, what are you saying to us? And when we feel God, we hear what God is saying to us, we do it and He blesses us for it. It's just, it's just being like Peter. It's like being a lot of you people. We're just saying, God, if you say it to us, we'll do it. It's just being obedient givers. So that's another notch up of spiritual maturity. We have, we have the, just the attitude of gratitude. Then we mature past that to say, God, whatever you want me to give, you to speak to me and I'll give. So I give my tithe and I give offerings as you ask me to do it, God. But you know what? That's not the end of it. I think sometimes in the church world, we say that's the pinnacle. If we get to that point, we've reached the pinnacle in our maturing in the area of giving. And I would say, I don't think we've reached our pinnacle yet. I think there's two areas that go higher. The first area that goes higher is this. The fourth, the fourth level we're going to look at is this. It's giving um, because of spiritual vision. It's giving because of spiritual vision. People who go to this level are already giving out of grace-filled hearts. They obediently give the full tithe and the free will offering, but they've matured to a point where they look at the world a bit differently than the average person who sits in the church pew. They look at the world differently. And as I'm going to talk about this, you're going to say, I know, I know people who fit this bill. This person reaches a point where they realize that the world is absolutely a disaster. It's in trouble and not a thing in the world that any man can do can fix it. And the person knows that the only hope for this world is the transforming work of Jesus Christ. They understand the only thing that can fix this world is people coming into a right relationship with Christ and living by His word and His way. And they're seized with the vision of saying, I've got to make a difference. And it changes the way they view their resources. It changes the way they view their talents. It changes the way they, review, they view the remaining time that they have earth. And the person at this stage starts saying, I've got to do something strategic with the time and the resources that I've got left. It's a person who starts realizing that there's a limited amount of sand in the hourglass. And they start saying, you know what, every day more grains are ticking through the hourglass. And I've only got one life to live and what I've got to do, I've got to do something that matters for God. You know what, it's just the opposite of the now I can sit back and enjoy my golden years mentality that has robbed so many of being used greatly by God in this nation. As Americans, and I'm going to step on some toes, forgive me in advance, in this nation we believe something that nobody else on the planet believes. Not another nation in the world that I'm aware of believes what we believe because we've been so blessed we can believe a lie from the enemy. That we turn a certain age, we back out of all responsibility, we buy a motorhome and we travel the rest of our lives. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with retiring. I hope to be able to do it someday. But you know what? We don't retire from the work of God. We don't retire. And, and this stage is, it tends to be as we have to get a little bit older to get to this point where we really understand I've got to give my life to vision. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. God's got so much more than just sitting at shady acres somewhere. If you're going to sit at shady acres, lead the prayer group. You know, start an evangelistic outreach. You know, do something to win, G- win people to Christ and make disciples because that's the only reason we exist. And at this level we understand 
that we only have a short time, we only have a certain time in our lives and we need to use it for the glory of God. At this level, the person says, I want to give as much as possible to something that will outlast me. You've got to walk for a few years before you start having that mentality. Something that will outlast me. That something I have to give to something that will really make a difference in this world and will bring, bring people into the life-changing relationship of Jesus Christ. When I think of this level, I think of two people, or actually four people, two couples, that Suzanne and Josh and Brett and I met on a boat in the middle of a lake called Tanlay Sap on a 110-degree day in Cambodia. We were in Cambodia going on a boat, um, a handmade boat, to a village that took about, about two hours to get there by boat, um, so that we could help run a medical team that was going in there to do work in the village. And you understand, when you're in a place like that, you're used to being the only white guy around. You're the only, no one else looks like you. And we get on a boat, and there's four other Americans on this boat. And we're thinking, where do these Americans come from? And we start talking to us, and they tell us they're from Seattle. And the one couple, um, their, their last name was Larson, so we remembered them, that their name they had the same last name as us. And we said, what are you doing here? And we start, they start talking about how their lives, they travel the world, and they promote a ministry called Kids Quest. And they're part of the Assemblies of God. And they are not missionaries. They're not, they don't have any ordinations. They don't have any official capacity. But what we found out later is that they're both probably the two richest people we've ever met in our lives, two richest families. The one man owns um, businesses, that industrial businesses. He's worth over a billion dollars. The other one owned like the largest um, insurance company in the state of, of Washington in Seattle and was bought out by some mega company and they had hundreds of millions of dollars. And they could do anything in the world they wanted to do. And you know what they've given their life to? We've been in their house you know what you're in a rich person's house when his hobby is collecting suits of armor? That was his hobby, collecting one of them, the one who had less money. Collecting suits of armor. Oh, this is my 13th century whatever. I'm thinking, that's worth more than I'll make in my entire life. Kids, don't touch a thing. <laughs> you know, just keep your hands in your pockets. You know, <laughs> so we're in there. And what we found is two people who said, you know what? We've, we've got everything, and it means nothing. And our, the hourglass is ticking away. And that's what they said. The hourglass is ticking away, Mark. And we need to do something to change this world. And the only thing that can change this world is giving ourselves greatly to something where Jesus is proclaimed. And we want to give our lives to, get to ministry where Jesus is proclaimed in countries where the gospel has not yet been preached. And we believe this ministry called Kids Quest is a gift from God. And since no one else seems to want to take control of it, they're part of our organization. And no one cares about it. So we've adopted it ourselves, and we're going to take it around the world. And they spend their entire lives going to rotten places like on a boat in a lake in Cambodia where it was rotten and stinky and hot and malaria mosquitoes are biting you and you're taking the risk of dying and getting ill and these rich people with everything in the world who could sit at Shady Acres, they could buy every Shady Acres in the country and they're saying, uh-uh. We're going to do something for God because we've got one life to live. We've got to do something. These two people embodied spiritual vision giving to me. They said, we will give whatever we have to make something happen. And friends, when you get to this level, you do things that other people don't understand. Their children didn't understand them. We sat in their house and ate, and they said, oh, our kids don't get it. They're like, Mom and Dad, why are you putting your life at risk? Why are you doing this? They said, because people matter to God. And no one else understood them. 
you know what? You give up security and you give up financial benefit at this, at this position to accomplish a vision. You give great resources to organizations and programs that will accomplish life-changing ministry that will outlast you. And friends, I hope that some of us are going to be motivated to mature up to this level. And if so, that we'll give ourselves and our resources to what really is of greatest importance. Change in this world for Christ. And you say, well, Pastor Mark, that's got to be the highest level. I don't think it is. I think there's one level that's higher. Grab your Bibles. Turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at just part of two short little stories here. First in Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. The yellow page marker. Oh, you don't have that. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, him as Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept weeping, wiping them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now turn back a few pages in your Bible to the Gospel of Book of Mark. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. It says, And he sat down, he again being Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. I think these two stories talk about a motivation for giving, a why of giving that goes above gratitude. It goes above obedience. It goes above vision. And it's the one thing that defines, I think, the height of maturity in this Christian walk. It's love. The thing that describes a person as being the most mature in the kingdom of God is being a person who has been gripped by love. And these two stories reveal the motivation for giving here of love. In the Gospel of Luke, it records a story of a converted prostitute who pours out upon Jesus' feet a very expensive alabaster vial of perfume. It was something that was incredibly valuable. Friends, what we see from that is this lady loved Jesus. She cried on his feet and wiped his his feet with her hair. She loved Jesus. She didn't give 10%. She didn't simply add an offering on top of her tithe. She gave beyond spiritual vision just to see the kingdom of God advance. Friends, in love, she gave everything that she had. Do you understand who gave this gift? This was a prostitute. 
Do you think anybody is a prostitute because they want to be a prostitute? Do you know why people become prostitutes? And I've met a lot of them, especially when we were overseas. Do you know why they become prostitutes? It's because they have nothing else. It's for survival. Nobody becomes a prostitute because they're rich. Nobody becomes a prostitute because they think it's fun. They become a prostitute because they're just trying to survive. And this lady was in the survival mode. And she was just trying to eke out an existence with the only way she knew how to do. Was she right in doing it? No. But was she just trying to survive? Yes. She was poor. And that perfume was absolutely everything to her. And she didn't go up to Jesus and cry on his his feet with unlimited tears and, and wipe his feet with her hair that would grow back and then pour a couple drops of perfume on his feet. She took the vial and she broke it. Have you ever seen what those vials look like? Go to the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit and you'll see exactly what they look like. They're on, they're on exhibit right now. You saw one, Pastor Pete, didn't you? I thought of this story when I, when I looked at the alabaster vials on display. Small little vial. She broke it. There was no other way of resealing it. She broke it and she poured it over Jesus' feet. You know what? Love made her do it. Love made her give it all and hold none of it back. The other story that we read in the gospel here is of the poor widow. And the point that Jesus makes about her is that while others gave from their surplus, she gave from her poverty. And she held absolutely nothing back. And with a heart of love, she offers um, to God absolutely everything that she has. Now she knows God. It's obvious from watching her actions, actions that He had provided for her in the past and He was going to provide for her again. I believe she knew that in her heart. But I have to believe people stood around and said to her, You are crazy. It's all you have left. Two little copper coins. How can you give the absolute little bit that you have left? You know what she said? She said, Love made me do it. She took those two little copper coins and she put them in the treasury. Giving out of love holds nothing back. You know, when we really mature, love makes us do some crazy stuff. Others won't understand, but you won't care because love compels you. Church, this is what motivated God to send His Son Jesus to you and me. For God so what? So loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Love made Him do something that was crazy. And friends, I hope that each of us mature and we come to a place where we so dearly love God that we give our all to Him. We give Him our finances, we give Him our time, we give Him our abilities, all to Him just for His use. And we realize that none of it is really ours anyways. That's where we started this entire series four weeks ago. None of it is ours. It's all His. And we hold nothing back. And we say, God, we give it all to You. And you know what? Just like that widow, He'll take care of us in the process. And if we get there, here's what I believe. If we get there, I believe there will never be a day when our community has a problem that God can't meet through us. Because we'll understand that it's not about us having enough. It's about us just being a place that God can flow blessings through. And there's not a need that this community can ever have that God will not be able to meet through us. For God will know our hearts and He'll know how to pour it in so it'll go right back through. 
and God will use us to meet those needs and reveal his love and we're going to see the greatest harvest of souls and the most disciples made that, that has ever been imagined and God is going to be glorified. You know where it starts? It starts with us having hearts of love. When we start saying this, friends, love made me do it. Love made me do it. Let's stand this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that in your word you challenge us. God, you don't let us stay where we are. God, you never let me rest. That every time we crack open the page of Scripture, we see that we're not there yet. We see that that there's greater plateaus to reach in the Spirit. And God, I thank you for that. And God, I pray for each of us today. And Lord, my prayer today starts with me. And I pray this, God, help us to go forward. Help us to mature. Lord, for whatever reason, the way we're wired, and you're the one who said, you know how we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that you understand something about the heart of mankind, that this temporal stuff, money and things, becomes so overwhelmingly important to us. And that you know that you can reveal the reality of our heart by how we handle resources. And God, I pray today that you would just reveal to us as individuals, not for anybody else's sake. You speak to me about me, God. You speak to everybody else about themselves. And God, you just show us where we're really at. And I ask this, God, help us to go forward. Help us to mature. Help us to go from self-interest to gratitude to obedience, God, to vision, and then finally the climax to love, where we really understand it's all about you. We hold nothing back. And we give you not just our money. That's simple. We give you our lives. We say, God, use us for your glory. So God, help us to advance. Help us, God, to understand where we're at in the journey. Because God, you don't condemn us. You understand where we're at in the journey. And you don't expect me to be at a place somebody else is at and somebody else to be at a place that I'm at. You expect us all to be exactly on this journey where you want us to be because that's where we are today. But as we turn to you, that God, you can then help us go to the next step. So help us to grow, help us to mature. God, for some in this place, there's fear right now. Because you're speaking to their heart. You're asking them to be obedient. And God, the great revealer that we're talking about today is obedient in the area of of finances. And you're challenging them and you're saying, you know what? You know what to do. It's time to do it. And God, they're afraid. And I understand that. And you understand that. And I pray this, God. As they obey... Open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that cannot be contained as proof of the fact that you are as trustworthy as you are and we have seen it time and again. God, quell that fear with faith 
knowing that you are trustworthy and help us to walk in obedience. So Father, we're all at a different spot today. We're all at a different spot in this journey with you. And I pray you would just help us to go forward. And God, that brings us to an idea, brings us to a thought. That there's a possibility, God, that there could be someone in this room today that has not yet begun a journey with you. That maybe today is the first time they've even considered the fact that there's more to this Christianity than just going to church. There's more than just singing hymns. There's more than just paying dues. That none of that's really the point. That the point, Lord, is that you love us and that sin has separated us from you. And unless we deal with sin, we can never be united with you. Unless we accept and receive, God, what you have offered to us and for free through Jesus that we can never be right with you. And God, maybe there's one in here today, maybe more, that are saying, I've never begun that journey. I've never asked Christ into my life. I've never asked Jesus to be my Savior. Lord, I've never asked Him to forgive me of my sins. But something's going on inside of my heart right now. Something is happening inside of me right now. My heart's beating faster. My hands are sweating. I don't know. Something saying, this, there's something about this that's for me today. God, if there's that person in this place, you know that you're pulling them to yourself. That's your, your intervention into their life. And I thank you for that. Friends, as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, it's a private moment. I would ask you across this room, is that you today? You need to make your, take that first step in this journey and ask Jesus into your heart. Give your life to Jesus. And say, from this day on, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to turn away from my sinful life and begin to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. I want to start that journey. If that's you today, I want you to do something between you, me, and God because no one else is looking around. I want you just to raise up your hand. And when I see your hand, I'm going to ask you to put it back down. Say, Pastor Mark... Pastor Mark I want to ask Jesus into my heart today okay thank you Jesus thank you Lord Jesus Father we love you today we thank you for your goodness we thank you God that that you're taking us on a journey we go from glory to glory help this day to be a day where we understand the glorious path you have us on And I ask now, Lord Jesus, that we would advance with you and that, Lord, you would be glorified in and through us in this church. As our worship team begins to play, I invite you to come and find a place to pray. The Lord's dealing with your heart on these issues. I ask you to come and to find a place to pray. If you need prayer for physical needs or other issues, you come forward and we will gather around you. We will lay hands on you and pray for you. If you just want to find a place of privacy, just come and spend some time at the altar or in one of the front pews or right where you are. But I encourage you, don't leave until you've done business with God. Then when you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, then very quietly make your way out of the sanctuary and go and have a wonderful day in the presence of God. God bless you.